Welcome in to the Galloway Podcast, episode 57. I'm your host, Wade Galloway. Today is Wednesday, November 11th, 2020. I want to wish everybody a happy Veterans Day out there. Thank you for choosing to listen to the Galloway Podcast. Today, we've got a great show for you lined up. We're talking with Cecil Ingram, a 1980s Masters participant. Cecil was an amateur in the tournament, lived in the crow's nest, and has great stories and things to share, not only about his experience, but how his perspective has changed, and also a look at this year's Masters and how a November Masters will be different from playing it normally as they do in the spring in the month of April. So we'll talk to Cecil shortly. As always, we're going to start with what's new. We'll talk to our guests, and then we'll finish up with around Alabama athletics. So let's go ahead and get started on the episode 57 of the Galloway Podcast. I want to remind everybody that the Galloway Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, as well as SoundCloud. So without further ado, let's get rolling in what's new. We know the SEC is turned completely upside down. It is absolute mayhem. Four games postponed, including Georgia at Missouri, Texas A&M at Tennessee, Alabama at LSU, and Auburn at Mississippi State. And so you look at that and you think, okay, well, what's left? Well, Vandy at Kentucky right now is still on. And then Arkansas at Florida is still on. Felipe Franks returned to Gainesville. That's something to keep an eye on. And then South Carolina at Ole Miss Saturday is still on as well. It's 2020. Things turn in the blink of an eye. So fingers crossed we're still having three college football games in the SEC on Saturday. But nationally... You know, you look at what's going to happen, and, well, Maryland and Ohio State game has been canceled, and it will not be rescheduled. And so the SEC has postponed their four games. But Maryland and Ohio State are canceling partially because their conference got a late jump on things, and there's no time for them to make stuff up. There's been rumors of, oh, well, we could push the playoff back, and this, that, and the other. And look, that's a rabbit hole. I'm just not going to go down. I'm not going to entertain that. Sure, it may happen, but it's not worth the conversation right now. If nothing is in writing and nothing has happened, it's not worth discussing. The only thing worth discussing here is that there have been cancellations and postponements in college football. It's really unfortunate as Alabama is coming off a bye week, two straight weeks with no college football. It's starting to feel like, you know, earlier 2020 again. When is Alabama going to take the field? Hopefully against Kentucky in a week and a half, but we will have to see. Alabama's healthy. This is this one's on LSU. So 6-0 Alabama awaits their turn to take the field again. That is what's new in the world of sports. It's National Signing Day today for various athletics. We'll get to that in around Alabama athletics. But for now, let's go ahead and kick it to the interview with Cecil Ingram as we roll into Masters weekend. It's going to be a great weekend over in Augusta. I'll be glued to the couch with my eyes on the TV, ready to roll, because the Masters is truly one of the best events in sports. Let's kick it over to the interview with Cecil Ingram. I'm joined now by Cecil Ingram on the Galloway Podcast. Cecil was a participant in the 1980 Masters, and he also stayed in the Crow's Nest. And so on the week of the Masters, I want to talk to Cecil about his experience, and we welcome him into the podcast now. Cecil, how are you? Doing good, William. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Well, our families have known each other for a long time, and... uh, would love to, you know, have the opportunity now to pick your brain about the Masters as it is, you know, a Masters week in November, a very odd set of circumstances this year. But go ahead and start off by telling everybody 
about your 1980 experience, how you qualified for the tournament, and we'll get into the details of what it was like to play in it. But how did you get into the 1980s Masters? I qualified for the Masters by being a semifinalist in the 1979 U.S. Amateur that was played in uh, Cleveland, Ohio. The match play part of it, and part of the qualifier was at uh, Canterbury Golf Club. Uh, in Cleveland, Shaker Heights area. Um, that They've changed the rules since then. They don't get as many. Uh, I think there are two spots now. But uh, that got me in as well as the uh, Walker Cup team. Uh, so we had a lot more amateurs back in the day. And the club offered us... Uh, a room in the crow's nest which is up above the clubhouse i've heard several people when they get invited by a member to go there one of the one of the things they like to do is all go up and sit around in the crow's nest they've uh, got some nice little private rooms and uh shared shower areas and things like that and uh it, it's kind of nice to see that i think probably the the neatest part of it about it for me was that when you got up in the morning, you could walk out of a door onto the roof and you would see the sun coming up and it'd be totally quiet. Nobody was out there. Then all of a sudden the, the golf course equipment would start rolling out, the fairway mowers, the green mowers, the, the sand trap rakes, all that would start rolling out and it, and it was just... You know, you can stand over there and see everything happening. It was just pretty neat. It really is a golf utopia. I had the chance to go back in 2017, and I'd call it, you know, one of the greatest experiences of my life in terms of everything that I experienced there in terms of seeing great golf but great facilities, uh, just a really a golf utopia, if you will. And so from living in the Crow's Nest, I want to ask you, what was it like living with those guys, those amateurs that also qualified? And then have you talked to other amateurs um, in years since uh, your experience staying in the crow's nest? Yeah, a little bit. We, we had, uh, we had a, a full house up there, and, but we really didn't spend that much time together up there because, you know, you're out on the golf course, you get up in the morning, you get, you get dressed, you're out there, you're hitting balls, you're practicing, uh, you're playing practice rounds, and uh, and it just seemed like there was always something going on. Uh, a function, some friends were having a, a get-together that you went to, or you get invited to this or that. So we, we weren't up there much. Every now and then, one of the... I remember Bobby Clampett's, one of his instructors was up there, and a bunch of the guys were sitting around the little living room up there, uh, talking a little bit, but uh, it was it was really just kind of like a private little little club, and it was very convenient. You you go downstairs and you eat your breakfast, eat your lunch, and sign your ticket. And I I can't remember. I, my mother saved a lot of the the receipts and things like that, but you you know you need a steak for dinner, and they charge you like five bucks or seven oh, bucks. My word breakfast was two or three they took real good care of the amateurs so and, uh, and, and that was uh so once you got there you pretty much i did go off i think i went off property a couple times but that was it i pretty much stayed there the whole time 
After after being there, I think you know there isn't really a place I'd rather be. It's it's really a Disney World for sports lovers and golf lovers in particular. So, uh, not going off property is probably a pretty good call because it really doesn't get much better than that. When it comes to the golf, who were you paired with? How did you play? And what was what were those rounds like playing in the world's most prestigious golf club? I played the first round with they pair the amateurs with a past champion. I was paired with Ray Floyd, who had won in 76 and was still, you know, pretty much one of the top players in the game. And uh, I shot 74 and he shot 75. And then the next round, I played with Leonard Thompson, who was, we have some mutual friends. And uh, uh, I can't remember what Leonard shot. I shot 75. I missed the cut. I was, uh, I'd gotten back to the cut line with birdies on uh, 11 and 14, but then I bogeyed 17 and had to birdie 18 to make the cut. Drove it in the fairway bunker and then hit it under the CBS tower. And, <laughs> you know, it was kind of a, I had to chip it in to make the cut, ran it off the green. So it was uh, a tough finish. But I played, you know, 74, 75. I, I had a bunch of friends of mine, some All-Americans and Walker Cuppers, and, you know, shot in the 80s. And, and one guy, one poor guy from Stanford shot 88 one round, and, and he was suicidal. Toast, so it yeah. was, uh, as I look back on it now, at least I didn't, at least I didn't shoot 80. Right, exactly. So, so the course has changed a little bit over the years, but what do you – when you think back on it, in terms of holes specifically, I mean, we saw, uh, you know, we see the the guys skip across 16, shoot those hole in ones. There was one yesterday. Um, but when you look at holes specifically and look back on it, which holes stand out? And you talk about, you know, your finish on 18. But what were what were the most challenging holes, and ones that you really enjoyed playing? You know, it was um, I worked real hard to prepare for the par threes, and I played the par threes extremely well I did not play the par fives well I was not a long hitter I was average at best and with that group I was less than average uh, and I didn't make I didn't make as many birdies as I needed to make I did pretty well avoiding big numbers and I made, didn't didn't uh, I think I played the par fives uh, the par threes I played the par threes two under for, the, for the two days so it was plenty good there but you got to make birdies on the par fives, and I didn't do that. that. That's that's probably what my downfall was. Not enough birdies on the par fives. But uh, you know, it's 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 changed a lot. The course changes every year. You know, you mentioned you mentioned Disney World. What when I when I go back now and what I what I see and what I look at, uh, can't see it as much on TV, but. I'm just amazed at what they do with the real estate. I'm kind of in the real estate business, development business, and uh, so my eye tends to wander that way anyway. But I'm always, I'm always amazed at what they can do in 358 days between Sunday evening when the patrons leave the grounds and 50, 51 weeks later on the next Monday when they start walking back. You know, one year they built that that phenomenal press facility in a year i mean it, it was it was not there and you walk back to next year and it's there and not only that but they 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 moved the old press facility and 
built some more uh, cottages. Just phenomenal. They, I think the last time I went over there, you know, I told everybody I just want to go see the uh, what they did to the fifth tee. And um, they moved the fifth tee back. When I played, you would finish the fourth hole, and you would walk to the left side of the green and go to the to the fifth tee. Now you go to the right side of the tee, and it's oh, it's sixty or seventy yards further than when I played it, at least, maybe maybe longer. And uh, uh, and and when I looked at it, you you would look at it, you would think it had been there for, you know. 30 years you right. couldn't see anything that wasn't mature the, the you know the, the course used to be a, uh, a nursery and and they've still I think got some grounds nearby the nursery that grows you know they grow plants for the course but it, it's just amazing how they can uh, come up with something they want to change and how they can execute it in such a short amount of time and there's one hole I believe it's on the front nine could be wrong but where it might be a par three, maybe it's seven or eight, but where the patrons are sitting on a downhill slope and there's a tee box. Which one is that? That's six. That's six, and, and the, uh, you tee off and, and you hit it over people that you can't even see. That's correct, and uh, and I've I've played it, I've played the course a few times before, and played it, uh, and I can't remember whether it was Monday or Tuesday, or it was either Monday or Wednesday that. Uh, I teed off on that hole, and then you start walking around, and it wasn't until I, you know, walked 30 yards that I realized that I'd hit it over all these people sitting on the bank, and uh, <laughs> it kind of, kind of threw you off a little bit, you know. If you, uh, you're better uh, off knowing that they're not there than they are yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the next time you play, you're thinking about, you know, those people are down there, you know. Right. Uh, so it, it was. Uh, yeah, but they, they sit there because one, six is just a wonderful par three. and uh, But also, if you get the right spot there, you can see 16 green. That's one of the great things about Augusta. People have certain places that they love to, to sit where you can see multiple holes of action. And, you know, they've got their favorite places. And I tend to, I tend to like my preference because I like to see the changes. I will, uh, I will go out and walk the nines backwards like I may start on number nine and walk the front nine depending on who's playing when and walk it backwards and then I will walk the front nine back or the back nine backwards and I do that because if there's somebody coming up you want to see play a certain hole you can get a good spot and you can kind of wait for them to come to you but you can always see more going against the grain than you can you know following the players right so and that way I get to see all the and all the changes they've made in design. We spent a lot of time, I think it was on the 7 fairway. You get to see 7, and you see maybe it's 14 behind you, and you see the 2 green right in front of you. Uh, again, again, could be getting my numbers mixed up. But there, the course is a lot closer together in ter- than, than TV makes it look. I mean, the real, there's, it's great real estate, as you are talking about. Beautiful place, beautiful facility. But in terms of the distance between fairways, it's relatively thin. And unless you go there, TV does a really good job of covering up how little space is in between holes. Yeah, if you get a, if you get a good spot 
like in between 13 and 14 where you can see both those holes or between 14 and 15 or 15 and 17 there's always some spots you can get and a lot of it uh as you're walking the course and you look if you see a certain pin placement um sometimes there's a pin placement and you just need to just stop and watch a few groups come through and see how they play it right what can you say about your perspective of how you see the masters now as a former participant and then for first off how often do you go back um certainly don't go back every year i've had the opportunity to go back several times with some different people or groups to uh, uh watch another round my my preference is to watch i like going early in the week monday tuesday wednesday gets a little crowded with the par three but i like to go early in the week to look to see what the changes in the course are uh, to look at the conditions uh, walk all around and enjoy that and occasionally see, you know, there's fewer and fewer people that are playing that I know that played with me because you know, I'm 61 years old. So all my heroes, you know, the only ones that I know are past champions, except for the young guys that have come up through Alabama or, or uh, what I've happened to know. <laughs> I've got, I got kids out there. I know their daddies, you know? Right. So uh, uh, I like to do that. Then after I, I've done that, when I go back and watch it, I'll have a little bit more appreciation just to see, you know, where they've changed the mounding or where a, where a, uh, uh, a bunker has changed slightly or there's a, tr- a new tree here or uh, really get a, an idea for the speed of the greens, uh, the speed of the fairways. Uh, it, it's just knowing that makes it more enjoyable for me to watch. And so with all that, how does your perspective change as a former participant versus that of a patron and or someone watching on TV? What experience do you have in viewing the Masters that's different than just a typical sports fan? Well, for, for many years, I was just absolutely crushed that I missed the cut because I, you know, I played really, really well um, uh, and, and just had a fought hard to get back on the cut line and, and had a tough finish. So that, that bothered me for a while. But now as I've, you know, I, I played after that, I finished college. I played about three years professionally and then I pretty much quit playing. And, and about that time, uh, I'm, I'm really just thrilled that I didn't shoot 80. <laughs> uh, because then, you know, at least when I, the scores in, in my era, and I tell this to the young guys that I, I, see around the golf course or the guys in Alabama, the condition of the course at the time I played made it difficult to shoot really low scores. The greens weren't cut as smoothly. They weren't shaped as well. You know, obviously, the ball didn't go as far and all this stuff. But, uh, you know, there was something to be said in my era if you could shoot 75 or better, especially in the college tournaments. And uh, so the fact that I kept it there in reason, uh you know, I get asked a lot, you know, what did you shoot? And, and yeah, it kind of hurts you when I say I shot 74, 75, but I, I think of the other guys that are, you know, that were all Americans that, that lived a few hours down the road that had played the course many times and never broke 80 or the Walker Cupper that shot 88. You know, at least, at least as I get older, I don't have to explain your na- that. Your name's not in that category for sure. 
That's wrong. So, Cecil, last question for you here. Just expectations for this year. I mean, obviously, as we talked about at the very beginning, a weird year with it being in November, earlier tea times because of the earlier sunset and, you know, due to being on standard time. But what do you expect from this year? And talk about Tiger in general because he may not be the favorite to win, but he knows how to have success here, and he's trying to defend his uh, his win from 2019. Yeah, you'll find you'll find that course lends itself almost always to the experienced players, but because the tournament is in November and not in April, well, you don't have many of the uh, many of the players. The, uh, the ones that have played there many years have not played there in November. Now, uh, you know, the Tiger Woods, Fred Couples, Bernard Langers, you know, it's possible that some of the older guys that have won the championship that can play there anytime that they want have played uh, over the years in, in this time of year there. You know, they may have had a group they wanted to go play with or a member invited them or something. So they may even have a little bit more of an advantage because it will play substantially different in November than it does in April. Uh, that'll be one thing to look for. Another thing to look for is the weather. And I checked after you uh, called me earlier, I flipped and checked the weather real quick. Looks like they've got rain at about a half an inch. They're looking for another inch tomorrow, thunderstorms in the morning. Uh, you know, if the forecast, if this is one of the days that the forecast is right of the then it might be that they do not do not play tomorrow. But after that, the weather looks good. Uh, but what you mentioned with the time zone and the number, I think they had 93 in the field. Two of them are out for COVID. Uh, it, it could be they may not get, I don't think they'll get the round in tomorrow completely if they've got any kind of thunderstorm activity. Uh, it could be that we're looking at a, at a Monday finish because you may not be able to get 36 in even after the cut on Sunday. I'm sure they try that. Uh, but I think with things that have gone on this year, there's uh, you know nothing too bad about being able to sit around and watch the Masters finish up on Monday if that's what happens. Uh, I think Saturday's going to be really unusual with all the football games now that are being canceled. Uh, it, it, it could be the... Uh, uh, it, it'll be a great, it'll be a great television event. They do such a good job on that. You'll see a lot of golf. They'll have, they'll have some features and all that. But uh, I would, obviously, the long, long hitters have an advantage. The greens. Uh, I was with a couple of other uh, tour pros the other day, and we were, they were getting texts from, from Justin or somebody over there talking about how far Justin and Bryson played a practice round and how far he was hitting it. And uh, uh, they, they did mention in there that the greens were a little slower. Of course, that's an old trick. You know, they don't get the greens fast until right before the first tee time. Uh, and they've got that sub-air system in there. They can dry them out quick. But uh, it's a little hard to dry them out this time of year when they're wet. Uh, but they can... Uh, you know, even if the greens are a little slower, all that means is that the uh, pin placements could be on a little bit more slope. So that makes it uh, that, that could make up for the lack of speed. Cecil, so you talk about this year being you know a year like uh, 
any other. And I think the mantra that they've been saying has been a year unlike any other for a tradition unlike any other. And I'm really just excited to see what happens this weekend. Excited that we get to see the Masters and that it'll be one now and then another one in April. So we don't have to wait a full year this time, even though we had to wait over a full year uh, for this one to get underway. But thank you so much for just your time and enlightening us with what it's like to be a player, your perspective, and then this year's tournament. It's it's different, but we're excited that it's here, and it's here all the same. So thank you so much for your time. Okay, thanks, William. Once more, I'd like to thank Cecil Ingram for his time and stories. I mean, those are some fascinating stories. What an experience to get to live in the crow's nest at Augusta for a week as an amateur Really, really glad that he could share that, and I hope you all enjoyed it. If you have any feedback, please let me know on Twitter at WM underscore Galloway. As episode 57 of the Galloway Podcast rolls on now, we go around Alabama athletics, and we start with National Signing Day, a huge day in Tuscaloosa. You name the sport, Alabama got the recruits. Men's basketball, women's basketball, softball, soccer, just to name a few. I mean, huge, huge day in Tuscaloosa. And it only is going to continue and go up from here. So the class of 2021 is beginning to make it official that they will be in Tuscaloosa for a variety of sports all across the board next year and for the years after that as well. Elsewhere in Alabama athletics, Alabama soccer plans for Friday's matchup versus LSU. In the SEC soccer tournament, that kick is at 6 p.m. on the SEC network, number 11 Alabama playing in the first round versus number 14 LSU. It's been a bit of a struggle year for Alabama soccer finishing games, but maybe they can pull through and give themselves an opportunity to make some leeway here late in the season as they take on number 14 LSU, 6 p.m. SEC network on Friday evening. Also in Alabama athletics, want to take a look at Alabama and the NFL. I did this Sunday night on my sportscast. I always do a Bama and the NFL play of the day, but this weekend, there was too much to choose from. I mean, the way that Tua played, so many receivers catching touchdowns. We're just going to go through a couple offensive and defensive numbers for you here. Irv Smith, two catches, only 10 yards, but... Two touchdowns, incredible performance for him as the Vikings get the win. Minka Fitzpatrick had a really great game, six tackles, one interception, two pass deflections. Julio Jones had five catches and a touchdown. Josh Jacobs continues his dominance in the NFL. He had 14 carries, 65 yards, and a touchdown. Deron Payne, seven tackles. Jonathan Allen, four tackles, half a sack, and a QB hurry. Jaron Reed, four tackles, three QB hurries, two and a half sacks, just all across the board. We could sit here and read stats for days. I'm not going to because you can do that on your own time. But Alabama just dominating at the next level in the NFL. And also, the Bama Freak of the Week, as the football team likes to tweet, Jerry Judy, 125 yards, seven catches, one touchdown. And one Jerry Judy, he and the Falcons got to go head-to-head, so it was kind of neat to see Julio on one sideline and Jerry Judy on the other sideline and just kind of the era and the dominance that Saban has had from top to bottom. Two elite receivers get to go head-to-head, and the Falcons score squeaked out the win there, so their struggle season continues, but we're not here to talk about the Falcons. We're here to talk about Alabama athletics, and that's really it for Around Alabama Athletics on this episode of the Galloway Podcast. There's 
basketball season around the corner, winter sports beginning, obviously COVID restricting everything. Coleman Coliseum for men's basketball games will be at 15% capacity. So that is something to note uh, if you're at the Norfolk State game for Avery Johnson's last game. As head coach of the Alabama men's basketball team, you know what 15% or less capacity looks like. So be expecting that plus social distancing. That's really it for the Galloway podcast here, episode 57. I'm your host, William Galloway. Today, we went through what's new, as we always do. We talked to Cecil Ingram about his master's experience in previewing this upcoming weekend's tournament. And then, as always, we wrapped up with Around Alabama Athletics. I want to remind you to check out WVUA 23 on the weekends at 10 p.m. for my sportscast. You can stream that live as well if you don't get WVUA 23 on cable. You can stream it on WVUA23.com. Some Galloway Podcast merchandise is still available. And I want to remind you to participate every Friday that Alabama plays football. So not this Friday, but in future Fridays. To participate in the Friday score prediction. Galloway Podcast merchandise is up for grabs for the winners. All you have to do is reply to the tweet with your Alabama football score prediction for the weekend. Mugs, tumblers t-shirts golf towels game day stickers you name it i've got it this is the galloway podcast episode 57 the galloway podcast where there's the right way there's the wrong way and there's the galloway